Please turn in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 2. And this morning I'll read verses 15 through 23 as we begin. 1 John 2, beginning at verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever." Little children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist, who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Amen. Well, let's once again look to God in prayer and ask for his help as we come to the preaching of the word this morning. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word, that we have it in our own language, that we can read it. Thank you for giving us minds so we can understand language in this particular language. And yet we acknowledge that we have the need of your Holy Spirit and his present help and power to enable me to preach your word faithfully and to enable us to understand it, believe it, and embrace it from the heart. Father, give us your spirit today that we might do that and give your spirit today to those who don't know Jesus Christ to open their eyes, to unstop their ears, to break their hearts and help them as well to believe in Jesus Christ, your son, this very day. We ask this in his name. Amen. Well, in verses 15 through 17 which was the focus of our attention last Lord's Day morning, John was warning the people that he wrote to against loving the world. And he made a statement in verse 17 that became, becomes a segue into what he says in verse 18, when he says in verse 17 that the world is passing away. And so he begins verse 18 with his frequent 
title, Little Children. That's what he's just addressing his readers. He's not saying, like we sometimes say in a, cho- in a sermon, children, listen now. No, he means all the people of God. He addresses them and says, it is the last hour. So that fits with the world is passing away. It is the last hour. And he returns in verse 18 to the subject that we've seen him focusing upon already a number of times in the first two chapters here, and that is the subject of the false teachers. And his statement about it being the last hour leads to some words regarding the false teachers that are perhaps surprising, and they're words that are definitely very strong as he speaks about these false teachers. So the title of my message this morning is The Antichrists, and we're just going to focus on verses 18 and 19. And I have two headings, one for each verse. The Antichrists have come, that's verse 18, and then the Antichrists have gone, that's verse 19. So first of all, verse 18, the Antichrists have come. First, let's notice John's statement, and I'll just read it again. Verse 18, little children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. Let's walk through John's statement here and his reasoning. He starts out by saying, it is the last hour. And then he says that they had heard in the past that Antichrist is coming. And I presume here, he uses the singular, I presume here, and there's not an article to say the Antichrist per se in the Greek, but sometimes it can be understood in a very specific way, even if there's not a definite article there in the Greek. So let's say he's probably referring here, I believe he is, with this singular Antichrist, to a single individual. And I'll say more about the Antichrist in a bit. So it's the last hour. They've heard that Antichrist is coming. And, of course, that this Antichrist is somehow associated with the very end of this age. Therefore, they should not be surprised, based on what they've heard in the past about Antichrist, that many Antichrists have come already. This is John's focus, not on the Antichrist singular in this passage, but on the many Antichrists. Look at verse 22. He's speaking about these Antichrists who are false teachers. It says, who is a liar, but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. He is Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. So this is one of the errors of these false teachers that Jesus has already been opposing. In fact, we could say it's their main error, and we'll look more at that error when we come to these verses. He is Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. Some of these false teachers that have been troubling these churches or this church to whom John writes were already present. Let's look over at chapter 4, verses 1 through 4, to notice Because John comes back to this subject again and again, especially here. He says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God. Because many false prophets 
have gone out into the world, and they've been facing some of them in their midst. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the Spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So we're looking at these false teachers here in verses 18 and 19. Next time, God willing, we'll look at their false teaching in the following verses. But the point is this. Many antichrists have come. They've heard teaching that already clued them into that reality, so they shouldn't be surprised. And I said, most probably, John is referring in the first word there that the Antichrist is coming. He's referring to a single individual. I say probably for this reason. Because only John, in all of the New Testament, uses this word, Antichrist. And his focus is not on any one individual. It's on Antichrist's false teachers or false prophets, as, they've, as they're called in chapter 4. So... This is how he's reasoning here, and this is what he's especially focusing on, false teachers who were already present in the first century A.D. But then we come back full circle, and he says in the last part of verse 18, by this, the fact that many antichrists have already appeared, by this we know that it is the last hour. So that's what he says there. That's his statement in verse 18. But now let's focus on two things that are part of that statement. Two important concepts in the New Testament. One is the last hour. And I'm only going to say very brief, make very brief statements here about the last hour and about the Antichrist. Several years ago, I, I taught on the subject of eschatology. So if you weren't here, you can look those up and look for specific messages. I can direct you to them if you'd like, and I can give you outlines that you can print up if you want to do that as well. But I'm just going to be very brief in what I say here. He speaks about the last hour. It is already the last hour. In other words, as John wrote, just within a handful of decades after Jesus died and rose and ascended to heaven, already, he says, it is the last hour. You've probably known Christians, and I'm probably looking at some who have actually been Christians, who have gone around and told people, I think it's the last hour. I know it's the last hour, because that's what the Bible says. What does he mean, though, by that? Well, remember from the eschatology lectures, we went through a number of Scripture texts. I won't do it again today. The whole history of the world, from creation to forever. And that's still the history of the world. It'll just be a new heavens and new earth. It'll be this earth refined, purified, and made new. The whole history of the world is, in the Bible terms, this age and that age. This age and the age to come. 
And those two time periods are divided, and of course the one we're in right now is much shorter, even if it goes on for a million years, it's much shorter. But those two time periods are divided by the second coming of Jesus Christ. So this age is from the creation of the world till the second coming of Jesus. That age, or the age to come, is from Jesus' second coming forever and ever without end. That's the whole history of the world. Now, let's look at just this age. The history of the world as we know it now is this age. And that is divided into two periods. From the creation of the world till the first coming of Jesus Christ. And then, from the first coming of Jesus to the second coming. And that last part of this age... Right now, the history of this world, from Jesus' first coming to his second coming, however long that is, if it's just a little over 2,000 years, or if it's 2 million years, the whole history of the world, from his first coming till he comes again, is the last days, according to the Bible. It is the end of the age. Or, in John's language here, It is the last hour. And that's simply the teaching of the New Testament. I'm going to read a number of texts that will demonstrate it, but there are many more. You can look them up, take your concordance, you can find them if you doubt what I'm saying. But we're in the last days, we're in the last hour. And if you come across a commentator who says, John thought that Jesus was going to come really soon, probably in his lifetime, it's obvious that John was wrong, That commentator does not have the kind of view of Scripture that we have and that we all ought to have, that is, that it is the very Word of God. So let's listen to some texts that make this plain. Acts 2.17, Peter's preaching on the day of Pentecost in Jerusalem. It shall come to pass, he says, in the last days, says God, that I will pour out of my Spirit on all flesh. Well, when did that happen? Well, it happened just before Peter got up to preach. That's 2,000 years ago, but it was the last days. Romans 13, 11, and 12. Now, Paul writes, our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. And the day means the day of the coming of the Lord Jesus. And he says it's at hand. He wasn't mistaken. Or Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians seven twenty nine, the time is short. And if someone said to Paul, but Paul, Christ isn't coming for at least 2,000 years, Paul's answer would be, don't worry, the time is short. In other words, we need to live like Christ could be coming at any time. Because he could. Hebrews 10, verse 25, "...not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another..." And so much the more as you see the day approaching. That is how all Christians are to live from the days of the apostles till now and beyond. Hebrews 10 verse 37 says, Yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. He will not delay. 1 Peter 4, 7, The end of all things is at hand. And then Revelation 3.11, Behold, 
I am coming quickly, Jesus says. And then we have our text, of course. Little children, it is the last hour. This is all the teaching of the New Testament. It's like we are in a football game, and there's a two-minute warning. Two, just two minutes are coming. Now, we don't get the definite time in the football game you do. Just two minutes of playing time are left. What's the effect of that? Well, if it's a close game, the effect is that both teams start playing differently. In particular, if one team needs to score and they have the ball, they start doing what they call a two-minute drill. You play differently from that point on. There's a, sense, there's a greater sense of urgency, and you take it seriously even more than the first 58 minutes of the game. Well, we're in the last hour, so we should always be urgent about everything regarding the Bible, the Word of God, our souls, life, death, etc. All we are yet awaiting at this moment, which was true back then as well, is the appearance of Christ. And shortly before that, the appearance of, I believe, the one man, the Antichrist. Let's turn over to 2 Thessalonians 2 for a moment. 2 Thessalonians 2 verses 1 through 4, and this will lead us to the next point. It's the last hour. John said that when they were taught, obviously, about the Antichrist coming, they were also taught that there will be many other Antichrists, and I like to say one is with a capital A, and the others are with a small a. But there are other Antichrists coming too, but here is what they're going to be preceding, the Antichrist, in 2 Thessalonians 2, he's called the man of sin. I believe they're the same individual. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, the apostles, as though the day of Christ had come. There was some false teaching that said the day of the Lord had already come. Verse 3, let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. This is the Antichrist, I believe, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God, that is not really demonstrating that he truly is God, but pretending to be God. He's a false Christ. And Jesus said that many false Christs would come, but this is the false Christ of all false Christs. And he's going to be coming just before the real Christ returns again. So there is the last hour. We're in the last hour. But the third thing we want to notice here, after we went through the statement of verse 18 and the last hour, the third thing we want to notice is the Antichrist or the Antichrists. And again, there's a, at least one lecture on that subject in those eschatology lectures if you want to listen to that. There's the Antichrist, as I said. Little children, you have heard that the Antichrist is coming John mentions him, but as I said, he's not focusing directly upon him. He is that man of sin, that son of perdition, who is going to show up 
shortly before Jesus shows up on the clouds with all the host of heaven. But then there are antichrists, plural. That, as I said, is the focus of John's attention here. Now the word antichrist is the word for Christ plus the prefix anti or anti, and we get our prefix anti or anti in the English language. It comes right over from the Greek. And in the Greek, it means two things. It means in place of, and that would be true about the false Christs, and that would be true about the Antichrist. He sets himself up as God in the place of God, which is why many Puritans and Reformed have said that the Pope was the Antichrist because he is the vicar of Christ, they call it in the Catholic Church. I don't believe he is the Antichrist. But they're the Christ that are supposedly in the place of Christ. But then the word anti also means in Greek, just like it does in English, opposed to. So if you have antibodies in you, that are antibodies related to coronavirus. They go and they try to prevent the coronavirus from making you ill. Antibodies. They're opposed to the virus. And these antichrists are opposed to Christ. And that certainly is true of these little a antichrists. And so the point here is this. The antichrist is going to come just before Jesus does. Jesus taught this to the apostles. The apostles taught this to the church. But preceding the coming of the Antichrist, the Antichrists, small a, plural, they will be here. And they will be here throughout this age. That's the point. Jesus said in Matthew 24, 11, that many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And that is something he was saying in Matthew 24 that was going to characterize this entire age, that is, from the second coming of Christ, these last days, excuse me, from the first coming of Christ till his second coming, all of these last days. You not only have John writing this and Jesus telling the apostles about it, you have Paul telling about it. You have Peter telling about it when they warn about the false teachers. The Apostle Jude also saying the same things. So there's the first thing. The Antichrists have come, these false teachers. We'll see how their teaching opposes the doctrine of Christ next time. Secondly, the Antichrists have gone Point A, verse 18, was the Antichrists have come. Point B is the Antichrists have gone. The New King James Version says, let's read verse 19, and then I'll tell you what the New King James says, or I'll point it out. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. When it says at the end of that verse that none of them were of us, I think the point is, is that, and it could be translated different ways, some, another way to translate it, and some versions do say this in English, that not all of them 
were of us. In other words, the Antichrist went out and some of them only were not of us, not all of them, but I think it's a right translation to say none of them were of us. They all literally were not of us. None of the heretics, in other words, John is saying, were true Christians. That's what he's saying here. They were not of us. So let's notice two things from this verse. They went out from us. That is the church. They went out from us, verse 19, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. In other words, they they went out. These particular antichrists, anyway, are gone. But that does not mean that the church there will never deal with antichrists again. There's no shortage of them. We still have them. False teachers, especially teachers who oppose the biblical doctrine of Christ. They're not gone forever. And Jesus warned about such people in Matthew 7.15 in the Sermon on the Mount. Beware of false prophets. And he warned about them in the text I quoted earlier, Matthew 24.11, in the Olivet Discourse. Then he said, many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. Let's look back at Paul's teaching in 2 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 7. 2 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 7, where we see a warning of the Apostle Paul about such false teachers. 2 Timothy 3, beginning at verse 1. But know this, that in the last days, so all the days from the death and resurrection of Christ until the second coming of Christ, know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, And from such people turn away, these false teachers, turn away from them. For of this sort are those who creep into households and make captives of gullible women loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. In other words, try to pin them down about who Jesus really is. Well, you know, the scriptures might seem to say thus and such. But they won't ever affirm who he truly is, that he is truly God, and that he is fully man. So these false teachers came, but now in this case, they also went out. They were in the church, probably not just infecting the church with false teaching as occasional visitors, but perhaps and probably, I think, even members of the church at one time. They, they, were, they were with us, but they were not of us. They went out from us. And that's the next thing. So they went out from us, that is the church. But the second point the text makes is they were not of us. They were not of us. Let's look over at John 17, very briefly. John 17, to notice this language 
coming from the lips of Jesus. John 17, verse 11, first of all, this is when Jesus was praying for his disciples on the night before he died. He says to his Father, Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to you. Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are. So they're still in the world, the apostles in particular. And now look at verses 14 to 16. Jesus continues in his prayer, I have given them your world, your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Jesus came from heaven. Well, they've been born again from heaven, from above, and so they're not of the world anymore. Jesus says in verse 15, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. So they are of God, they're not of the world. Where did they really come from in a spiritual sense? From God, from heaven now. And that's the point here. They are not of us. They were in the church, probably members of the church, but they didn't really belong there. There was no real spiritual connection. They, didn't, they weren't real Christians, even though they were professing Christians. They were fake Christians. They were temporary Christians. Use whatever word you want. But because they were ostensibly of them, when they left, their parting would have been painful, but ultimately good for the church, because they were heretics. So in light of the facts, their parting was not like an amputation, like if I had to lose my right arm. Their parting was more like the removal of a tumor, which might be painful, but would be for good. Look at 2 Timothy again, 2, verses 17 to 19. I didn't just make this up, this language of a tumor. A malignant tumor. Chapter 2 of 2 Timothy, verse 17. Paul writes, And their message will spread like cancer. He means false teachers. Hymenaeus and Philetus are of this sort who have strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection is already past and they overthrow the faith of some. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands having this seal. The Lord knows those who are His, and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. In other words, here we have the same thing. Paul is saying there are some false teachers in your midst. They may have been baptized, whether by your church or some other church, but they're proving now they never were of us, really. The Lord knows those who are His. It's not just those who outwardly are connected to the church, who make a good profession, who run well for a while, who may have been even used in your life. That's the idea. That's what Paul is saying here. That's what John is saying in 1 John chapter 2. So I need to get to um, doctrinal observations with some, some practical application, but not that much, because I don't have much time. The first thing is this that we learn from this passage. We learn about true Christians as opposed to false Christians. 
No one can be saved and then lost. That's the first point I want to make about this. No one can be saved and then lost. Jesus said in John 10, 28 and 29, once someone is in his hand that is saved, no one can snatch them out of his hand. Or he said, no one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. Once a Christian, always a Christian. That's biblical doctrine. Philippians 1, 6, he who has begun a good work in you, if God has begun his good work in you, if he's saved you, if he's brought you to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ, he will carry that work on to completion. No doubt about it. That's the first part of this doctrine about true as opposed to false Christians. No one can ever be saved and then lost. So that's not what John is saying, and that's not what I'm saying, that someone could. But the second part of it is this. Someone who turns away from Christ and goes to hell never was saved. That's what John is saying here in, in 1 John chapter 2, in verse 19. He says, they went out from us, but they were not of us. They went out that it might be made manifest that they were not of us. It was the mercy of God that showed who they really were, not true Christians. Think of the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount about people who professed Christ's name and they even preached in His name and worked miracles in His name, Matthew 7, 21-23. But Jesus says to them at the last day, He doesn't say, you know, I knew you once, when you were a good guy, but now I don't know you anymore. What did he say? Depart from me, I never knew you. And remember what Jesus said in John 6 at the end of that chapter about Judas. It said he knew all along who his betrayer was. He knew who, Jesus, who Judas was before Judas was born. And he knew who he was, that he would be his betrayer before he chose him as an apostle. That he was of the devil from the beginning. Jesus was not fooled. And John is now saying, you're not fooled about these false teachers anymore either. True and false Christians. Second, we learn something about hypocrites in the church. They were of us before in one sense, right? They were in the church. They were baptized members of the church. It's kind of like the analogy that Jesus gives in John chapter 15 at the beginning of the chapter about the true vine. I am the true vine, you are the branches. And then he talks about some branches that are broken off and thrown into the fire and they're burned. That's people who called themselves Christians They were outwardly connected like a branch to the vine, but there was no life in them. No sap flowing, no real good fruit. I never knew you, Jesus said. They were dead on the vine, and they had to be broken off. Judas was among them, but he was cast out and cast off. Hypocrites in the church, people who say they're the real thing, but they're not, Our confession states it this way, the purest churches under heaven are subject to mixture and error. Error is false teaching. Mixture is not everybody who's in the membership is necessarily a Christian. The goats are mixed in with the sheep. Sometimes the goats die that way, but sometimes they're exposed, and that's what happens here. 
There will always be hypocrites in Christ's church, but it's not by design. And so we should be careful about letting people into the church. We can't be infallible, but we can work at it. As we sing in one of our hymns, there are false sons in her pale. Hypocrites in the church. Third, the Bible's doctrine of perseverance, that is perseverance of the saints, is another thing we learn here. We saw it from God's side. He won't let anyone out of His hand. He'll preserve His people. If He starts a good work in someone, He'll cause it to be carried on to the last day of that person's life. Philippians 1.6. That's preservation of the saints. God's work. But the point here, the doctrine of perseverance, is man's side of it. You need to persevere. Every true Christian, you need to persevere in the faith. You don't take it lightly. It's a matter of urgency. It's the last day. You see how John says it. If they had been of us, verse 19, they would have continued with us. Don't listen to that idea that, well, so-and-so is not walking with the Lord, but at least I know he's saved. You do. How do you know that? John says, we would know it if they had continued with us. But he says, now it's been made manifest. They never were of us. The point here is that God preserves all his people, but all his people continue in the faith. That's the human side of it. That's man's side of it. And how do they continue? By believing keeping on believing, repenting, they keep on repenting, watching and praying, they keep on doing that, heeding warnings like John's in this epistle. John knows that both things are true, God's grace and man's responsibility. And then fourthly and finally, false teachers come and go. They come and they go. And by that I mean this, their presence is inevitable It was foretold in the Word, not just that they would show up at one time in the history of the church, they'll be here throughout the history of the church. They must be there. Like Jesus said, offenses must come. It is inevitable. It's the fulfillment of God's Word. You're going to have false teachers. Second point about them, their presence is dangerous. Like Paul said, their teaching is a cancer that will destroy people. It will destroy souls. Especially the false teaching that these teachers were guilty of about Jesus' own person. So their presence is inevitable, these false teachers. Their presence is dangerous, yet, thankfully, their danger is not insurmountable. That is, their destructiveness can be repelled. It can be checked by the church. It can be warded off. And I'm just going to give you two ways by which it can be warded off. The first one is faithfulness. And by that, I mean at least two things. By the churches holding fast to the truth. And that's probably what happened here. The church held fast to the truth, even with the presence of these false believers. I say that because it says they went out. It doesn't say they ruined the church. It doesn't say that they sent out the true men of God and the true preachers of the gospel. It says they went out. So I'm assuming it was a kind of a case 
like John wrote about in the church in Ephesus in the letter in Revelation chapter 2. He said, you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and you have found them liars. So maybe these guys were in the church for a while. Their evil teaching came out. The people recognized it for what it was, and they shut them down. They didn't give them a hearing, and they left. And that was a good thing. And I'm presuming also that they were taught well and maybe warned against and rebuked like they should have been. And maybe even there was some church discipline exercised against them. Like Paul said in Romans chapter 16, that you should note the false teachers and avoid them. That is, note and avoid those who cause divisions and offenses. Or like Paul wrote in Titus chapter 3, that he said, Admonish those who cause divisions a first and a second time, and then after that, have nothing to do with them. Put them out of the church. That's one way that the danger is overcome. The destructiveness of these false teachers is repelled. Let me give one just brief qualification before I go to the last thing, and that's this. This text is not teaching that everyone who leaves a faithful Christian church, even if it's not for good reasons, is a false teacher, is an antichrist, and necessarily is on the way to hell. No. They're not necessarily a non-Christian. They're not necessarily evil. They're not necessarily heretical. I say that because over the years I've heard of churches that whenever someone leaves the church, the pastor will preach on or at least mention this text, even if he doesn't get specific or use names And we shouldn't think that way. These were false teachers. They were antichrists. We judge every case on its own merits, brethren. The danger is not insurmountable, secondly, because of awareness. It's not insurmountable. In other words, false teachers can show up even in true churches, even in good churches. How can it be overcome? Turn with me to one more passage, John 13, verses 18 to 20. This is the teaching of Jesus on the last night he was with his apostles before he died. He had washed their feet and he says, I do not speak concerning all of you. In other words, you're not all true Christians. I know whom I have chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled He who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. Who was that? Judas, who was going to betray him. Now listen, verse 19. Now I tell you before it comes, that when it does come to pass, you may believe that I am he. In other words, you're going to see a terrible thing here. One of the guys who went out and preached with you, one of the guys who spent the days traveling and the nights sleeping with us under the stars, one of those guys is going to forsake me. In a bad way, I'm telling you now, so that when it comes to pass, you may believe that I am He. Most assuredly, I say to you, He who receives whomever I send receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. Why do you think Jesus said that? I think it's for this reason. Someone's going to say, well, I heard Judas preach, and I believed in the Messiah when he preached to me. And now look what Judas has gone and done. Am I even a real believer? Jesus says, if someone comes with a real message and you believe in me, you have received me. He sent Judas. 
What Judas does after that has nothing to do with your soul and your soul's safety and well-being. Remember I said earlier, often someone comes into a church, after a while it turns out that person is a false teacher, a heretic. They leave. They were a bad person, as John says. They were not of us. It's painful. You loved him, maybe. God used him in your life, maybe. Maybe he was a pastor at one time. It feels like an amputation. But it wasn't. But listen to Calvin's words. Calvin says, For it does more to upset the weak when anyone among us who professes the true faith falls away than when a thousand outsiders conspire against us. But brethren, we need to remember when something like that happens, what I'm talking about is something very clear, that someone who may have been in a church, whether a pastor or a non-pastor, had a good, obvious profession of faith, but then walks away from that profession, teaches false doctrine, you conclude this, he was never a Christian, but you don't draw the next step, which is, am I a Christian? And you don't go to the next point and say, well, that means the whole church is corrupt, and everyone is false and hypocritical. Don't do that. We need to remember the teaching of Jesus and the teaching of John And we need to remember, we have been given ample warning that that kind of thing will happen. It will happen, not it might happen. And we should not lose our faith. And we should not lose heart. But we should press on, knowing that it is the last hour. May God help us to do so. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word and ask that you would take these things and write them upon our hearts. Sober us all. Impress upon us that it is the last hour. Help us to hold fast to the true teaching about Jesus Christ, that he is true God and he is true man, and that he is coming again. And help us to live in light of that day and help us to live for that day and for the glory of our blessed Savior. And we ask these things in His name. Amen.